the first person to either, either accept you or not is your father. And it determines the opinion you have. We'll get into that more later. But without Jesus Christ, who came to introduce the father and show us what a father-child relationship looked like, and redeem us back into that, and then give us his Holy Spirit so we can be animated within the Father's presence, the Father's love, and how all three work together. And for some reason, he chose me to entangle me in the middle of that whole thing. And it's awesome. So our ministry is to do that, and we, our primary uh, focus is, you know, if you have a block of ice, and you take an ice, you can hammer it with a hammer, but it just makes a mess. But if you take an ice pick and find one area and hit it, the block comes apart so it becomes usable. And so our main ice pick is a program called Mission 300 where we take young men and create an environment where the idea of fathering is apparent because then in time they begin seeing this is what a father could look like and it begins the segue into introducing Jesus Christ and their life begin changing. So our program is Mission 300 and we um, work in Thailand, so we work in three different provinces where we have become the mandatory program for the Department of Probation, so every kid has to go through our program in order for them to get out of probation. That adapted into a leadership program within the juvenile detention center, and from that, the, guy, the boys that are getting ready to be released, I say boys because 93% of everyone in probation and detention in Thailand, everywhere in the world are boys. So we take the boys and help them navigate out, and then we have an aftercare program that we bring them into, and we do things like football and, well, j just so you know. It's the one that you actually use the ball with your foot. So soccer. So we do, uh, we use that, but we don't really care what we use to create an environment. See, when a relationship forms and you can connect on someone else's level, where you're willing to go into their world of what they enjoy and what they can see, they're much more willing to come back into your world and be able to drawn together, be able to be drawn together. So, um, with that said, I had noticed that um, listening to Valerie was sharing me the message of Peter last week and talking about your goals and setting things we and and planning out your future. This isn't what we planned, but it is what was in our heart. And so we didn't have to make any of this happen. In fact, I tried that whole, that whole rhythm. I am not type A. Now, I'm strong and stubborn, but I'm not type A to go drive it out. So I had to let God do something in me, and he gave us a word, and he gave us this thought. And we tried the PR scheme. We tried the marketing program. We tried hammering all the doors. And, you know, if you put out a 1,000 calls, you'll get the one. And, you know, it just doesn't work for me, nor do I have the patience for it. Instead, who's in front of me that I can love? And it was through that chain of event of teaching our director in Thailand to just love people in the same way and in the same view and in the same opinion that your, the father would have towards that person. And it happened to be this lady at a laundromat who happened to have a husband who could jumpstart his car when it broke down in front, who happened to be the driver for the director of the Department of Probation, who happened to be looking for a solution to deal with the problem, who happened to invite us in and we didn't do anything else. He just spread it. The woman at the well story is very profound. 
So we don't have to get in, how do I reach Samaria? Just love the person that's sitting right there and you'll find a whole different avenue takes place. It's a separate story, but that's how Outbound Life got birthed and we've been doing that for nine, eight years? Eight years and we've been living as a family in Thailand for five. And just so you know, the other factor that's really brought in a real understanding of grace and the Father is we have no rights in the country that we live in. We have a guest, we're a guest, but we're at the privilege of the government. We can demand nothing. We can expect nothing. And so in that journey, it's really brought our eyes to open that the favor of God is just so much greater than the rights that man can give me. And so I think it's interesting that at the end you have a slave that ends up leading the nation of Egypt. But he never became a citizen of Egypt. Joseph was still a slave, but the favor of God sat on him that he took over. It's just a much more powerful way to look at things. Wow. So in this morning, I was thinking about this environment, and uh, I was trying to share with Peter my thoughts on this. This is the most unique environment I have ever been in. I'm not just a speaker coming in to speak, but I'm actually with this, this family of people that know me. We've had different interactions together, not just from a speaking or ministry side, friends and coaching, and I got players from the soccer team, and it's just, this, this is really amazing. So I can't make up too many stories because you're going to figure it out pretty soon. So there's no evangelistical speaking that can go on this morning. But I was thinking about this idea of the importance of God's opinion. And I don't know whether we realize enough, there's certain things that are essence in our being when we were designed. Do you know we all have a deep-rooted need to be accepted? And it's not something you could, you could cut it off and become hardened to it that I don't need anybody to accept me anymore. But the fact of the matter, it still lies dormant there. Because that's what we found in even dealing with the fatherless young men, is they're either running away from God and say, I'm never going to be like that, I'm going to make it on my own, or they're trying to find their father, or they've just abandoned themselves that they won't be ever accepted. But that idea becomes the thing that's driving all of their motivations and behaviors. Because God was the one who wanted to accept you. That's why it becomes such a critical point. See, these things that are deep in our heart are so needed, but we don't understand that sometimes we try to ignore these feelings, but it's not that the feeling is wrong, it's where we're getting it from is what the problem is, which is where grace comes in. You know, I had, uh, when I was first starting, I had started a mentorship group at uh, Maranatha, and they let me test some of the ideas. So the Maranatha students were the guinea pigs of our program to see how well it worked. And after that, we were asked to coach the soccer team, which we did for six years. And in that time, I had never realized what pressure was quite to the degree of what that was. So you have the pressure of, you've never coached before. You played, but you never coach. Very different. It's a very different idea. I played goalie. So I didn't really care what the formation was. So that was my background. And so I was asked to do this, and so I, the, the best answer I could give was no. And so, they, but they said, no, we want you to do this, and they, they worked things out, so we did. And, it was very interesting. I never felt the pressure of you have the school's expectation, you have the player's expectation, 
You have the other coach's expectation. You have the parent's expectation. And then you have other parents' expectation. And it's all pressing on you to make a decision that you're not moved by those things, that you need to be what you were asked to be. And I remember someone, at the athletic director at the time, he, I said, you know, there's all these things. He said, we brought you to be you. Just be you. Well, sometimes you don't know what you is <laughs> until you have to manage through all the pressures of all these opinions and all of these things. And it's so easy to want to find someone's opinion that just supports you. And so you can be magneted over, but that is not necessarily the right magnet. And so then all of a sudden you switch, and now this group starts approving of you. And you know, pretty soon it, it starts becoming a mess till you feel the eyeballs piercing at the side of your head. Coach, put me in. Why am I sitting on the bench? Coach, coach. And you, and you turn, because you can feel the pressure of that whole idea. But you love them, but you're trying to navigate all this, and so you're in this pressure cooker. But isn't that the way the world around us works? Isn't that what is the rustle that we wrestle with? When we know the grace of God, this is what you are, your approval, your identity, your security. Everything comes from the opinion of the Father. But then you go out into the world where that isn't the same ideas. And now you have to sit and navigate through all these opinions and how, it, you know, it's easy to sit at home in my closet studying and listening to praise and worship music and just know how much God loves me. Right? I mean, it's awesome. Until you step into work. And then you try to go, okay, God, and then you're trying to do the self-convincing thing and you're, you're trying to walk through it and then things come out of your mouth that you wish you wouldn't have said or actions and all that stuff. And now it's like, how do I reel all that back in? Now you're feeling bad about what you did or what you said. And now you're, now the next morning isn't God loves me. It's, oh God, take all that away. And you're, you're going through the cycle begins. But I was thankful for that opportunity. And there was this when you start coaching, the pressure's great until someone who is a good coach that has been doing it forever happens to be a parent on the sideline. And the pressure, and you feel intimidated because you know they're smarter. And you know they know what to do, and you, they know, you know they know what to say, and you're trying to hold your ground, and you're, you're trying to be you, and, and, and in that new journey, there was this pressure and it's like great ideas were coming, but I didn't know how to fit them with me. So rather than being graceful, you become a little bit more obstinate towards the ideas. But I was thankful for that person because they saw something in me. And rather than convincing me, they said, okay. But they didn't just say, okay, with the passive mind. As the years went by, they became so trusted in me and they don't even know what they did to me. See, they operated in a place of grace towards me. And it influenced things. It began changing things and who I, who I am. You see, when we operate in the grace that's inside of us, we don't have to try to find our call, how to deal with this, how to deal with that. We can just stand and be that to a person. You might think it absolutely doesn't matter why I held the door or why I just agreed or why I just saw something better in that person. But you don't know what they're doing. You're, that's doing to that person's life. And to watch a family stand and support and to be able to see their two sons. Paul, you had no idea I was going to tell you that. That so affected me. I couldn't get that story off my mind. In this room. 
And they, they got to see all that. You guys don't know what you're affecting. You guys don't know what you're impacting. You don't know what you're changing. And it helped me see how to look at people when I'm on the other side of that wanting to fix a problem. But rather I just see what God sees in them and draw them out. John 17, 21 through 26 says this, that they all may be one as you, Father, in me. This is Jesus praying over us. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Isn't this a powerful thing? How do we influence the world around us? We think it's by an act, an idea. There's strategies God will give you. But if I try to measure to someone else's strategy, I'm going to fail because it's not my strategy. The strategies aren't God's handiwork. They are for you, but not for the style, for everybody else. How Peter's going to run this church, how a next pastor is going to do it. If he, if he started measuring, well, they do it this way, they do it this way, you're going to have a mess. But if he's just him and God gives him a strategy, then all of a sudden you have something that flows. So God gives you a strategy, but I can't go to someone else to validate my strategy. It flows from who I am in God because I'm one with him. But the fact that we all can share in is who you are in him because that's what changes the world. Verse 22, the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfect in one. Think about this. The glory which was given Jesus, he gave to us. Now let me just tell you what glory means. Glory in the Greek is the opinion, judgment, or view resulting in praise and honor. So the opinion, his judgment over you, his opinion and his judgment over you that results in praise and honor, his dignity worthy of respect. So when he says, my glory that I've given you, he's raised you to a place of dignity, honor, and respect in his sight. And when that reality starts flowing through our minds, all of a sudden you no longer are looking for the dignity, honor, and respect of anyone around you so you can love them in the way that God loves them. Then it says that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you sent me. How does the world actually know that Jesus was sent? By your entanglement into him. Not because you have a great message or a great PR person or really bold and can go out and just share it. And like I said, that could be a strategy. But if it isn't coming from this place or you start measuring other people how they are about going about doing it, you've missed the whole point. That's called marketing. And the devil has been phenomenal at it since the beginning of time. I will show you a problem that you have that only my answer can fix. And if you don't believe you have that problem, I will convince you of that problem until you buy into what I have. Marketing. 
Now what Lucifer did? Oh, God's holding out on you. Really, I didn't know I was missing something. Yeah, you really are. But if you have this, then all of a sudden now you'll be whole, so now you can be back into the place that he said you were because you're really not. Glory is the kingly, majesty, the kingly majesty which belongs to the supreme ruler. The majesty in the sense of absolute perfection. The most glorious condition and the most exalted state. His people that believed in him, he put them into the most exalted state that they could be. One with him. Now, he said it. I'm not, I'm not making this up. I'm... Now, being that I'm a soccer fan, I thought I would throw this out there, is you, you start watching these patterns in natural world. So now, even when I share this story, this is natural things. But I want you to look how humanity responds to this naturally. How much greater should we respond to it spiritually and naturally, which we've been given? So... There's a player, my, my favorite team is Liverpool. And so um, there's, they got a new coach several years back. And he's one of the only professing Christian coaches in the English Premier League. little side note. But it kind of ties into this story. So one of the defenders came in and they said, what do you think about your new coach? And he said, he's definitely the right manager for me. He took part in everything from day one. And also, he did he didn't expect me just to get it right away. Instead, he instilled in me the confidence and the belief. He believed in me. You know, you have ups and downs in life, but when someone is behind you who has stuck with you even in bad moments, it means a lot. Not just for me, but for the team. So this is this player. Well, a little bit later on, they're playing, and all of a sudden, they're in the championship game. A couple years later, and the coach pulls him out 31 minutes into the game. That isn't a positive sign. Especially a defender. You don't pull a defender out ever in the game, let alone 31 minutes into the game. So he got pulled aside, and for two days, the coach didn't talk to him. Well, it wasn't that the coach wouldn't talk to him. It's just that Dejan couldn't get his head around what was going on. He was mad. He was angry. I want you to catch what the coach said to him. He responds, I wanted answers, but he said positive things. He didn't tell him what was wrong. He didn't tell him where he messed up. He didn't tell him where he was falling short. He told him the positive things about who he is. And he said to me, if you just think about yourself like I think about you, you will be one of the best players in the world. I want you to just catch that statement. Here's a person that sees someone as a father, so the messenger matters. A lot of times we don't believe truth because the messenger we can't understand. We can't connect to the messenger. But when we operate in the grace of God, and we go about life living in his opinion, you become a credible messenger to the group of people that are around you. Then when you have something to say, see what the coach did is he spoke the truth in love. That doesn't mean I'm going to lovingly tell you how bad you are. 
The truth in love is I'm going to tell you who you really are because I love you. That's the truth in love. We just like to find a way to let other people know how you're irritating me. <laughs> Lovingly. So he says, that this is going on, and he goes, you know, maybe it's sometimes just my self-confidence disappears in some moment. And he believes in me, you know, and I believe in him. This is natural. This father heart of someone who, see, a father will take you to a place that you may not feel comfortable, but he believes so much in you that he will stand there with you and watch you shine in the middle of something you thought you couldn't shine in. But the only opinion that's going to work in that situation is his. Because he's putting you into a world that does not have an opinion like that. And it's not always that people are against you, even though it feels like it, because they said it, like I'm against you. But, but it's not really that they're against you. It's they don't understand what you have, so they're trying to process it through their identity and their insecurities. And if you're right, then I'm nothing. So they become angry because they've built something. They finally got some semblance of order to their life. And now you're coming in and telling me a truth that's dismantling all of that. Why wouldn't they hate you? You're stripping who they are. And so we saw this even when we got into the Department of Probation. The director loved us, but there's a, there's a chain of command in Thailand. It's under a king. So this person says this. It doesn't matter if you have a better idea. If you're not of the right place, your opinion doesn't matter. It only matters what the opinion of the person above you says. So if all of a sudden the professor comes in because everyone is in hierarchy and says, we're going to have class tomorrow at 3. Well, I already made plans. It doesn't matter. If you want to pass the class, you'll be there at 3. Oh, and tomorrow we'll probably do it at 5. And by the way, I'm changing plans. And it doesn't matter. You just have to go with the flow because he's in charge. And so we, we saw that because the director was saying, we want you in here. But not everybody wanted us in there. And so our, at the time, our, our director for our ministry he was working, and so he would go back to the director of probation and say, hey, can we get this done? Then he'd go back to him, hey, can we get this done? I said, you got to stop it. Did he already give you permission to be there? Yes. So we don't need to go leverage him against other people. You go and love the person is at the lowest point that you would actually never even consider of having any value, and you go to them first. Because when they're one, what happens when the director leaves? This animosity. And so he went to those people and began lifting them up. Those people became such great friends and relationships that we sat down and we had dinner. Um, one of the directors, the assistants, came to our house two years later and we became friends with the family and she's friends with the family now. And she goes, I have a confession to make to you. I absolutely did not want you, another Christian group, in our program. I was mad that you guys came. Well, what changed? She goes, because you were true to what you were. We've seen so much. See, there's a time that you're operating where you feel like, God, why is the ceiling being held down? Why am I not going further? If God's approval of you is settled, does it matter if you go further? Does it matter? Does it matter if you accomplish your end goals if you're already approved of? 
unless your motive is tied to getting to those end goals and your identity is tied, if I get here, then I'm something. Now we have a problem. But if you know you're something, does it matter if you don't accomplish X, Y, and Z? Rather, what if we looked at it as in this environment, I would like to be someplace better, but in this environment, I am just going to be what you've made me to be, and I'm going to be the glory. And it's in that place other people are being shaped and changed and perceptions. Because it's more about them and it's not about you. But say I can tell you, hey, it's not about you. And you're like, well, that's easy for you to say because you're up there and I'm down here. But when you understand the Father's approval, now all of a sudden those words have a different meaning. See, it's not about what you do for me, it's who you are. So I'm going to place you into a position so I can shine around you, but don't worry, you're already secured and valued and I can't give you anything more than you already have. Seven weeks later, this player goes on to take the smallest nation since 1950 to ever make it to a World Cup final. And he says this, it was Croatia, and he said, Dejan Lovren believes he has proved himself as one of the best defenders in the world after helping steer Croatia into the first World Cup final. He believed he was world class. And he shaped something. That's natural. That's natural. How much more if we could get the gravity of our father's opinion of us, what do we look like in the world around us? See, then everything you do has nothing to do with your approval. It has to do with the love towards the people around you. But we struggle loving the person around us because we're still trying to find our identity and what we're doing. So they become a measurement. And it becomes abrasive. This takes me to a story of, you have to give me like a five minute or, okay. This takes me to a story that I meditated on for so many years. And, and, and it, it hit me when I was getting ready to go into a prison, or uh, excuse me, into York County Jail in South Carolina. And I was getting ready to go prepare and speak to them. And this is when God was really revealing to me the righteousness of God and the grace of God and, and how that works and how that changes people and, and that whole effect. And he said, I want you to talk about Samson. And I didn't want to talk about Samson. Do you not think these guys know how to not make dumb decisions? I already knew what Samson did. He was the guy picked, screwed it up, had some redemption at the end. And I can't relate to him anyway because he's a superhero. <laughs> I don't want to talk about him. And God says, you misunderstood the story. You see, when we live in a place of grace, right? When we live in a place of acceptance and approval and his righteousness outside of anything that we've done, what if we went back and reread the stories in light of that? What did they see? What did Jesus see when he read it? Because God in Hebrews says, this is a man of faith that had a good testimony. I've never heard him talked about in a good testimony. I've heard a lot of good messages on what not to do and how to prevent problems. But see, those people never raised a deliverer. What does a deliverer look like? What does that kind of person look like? So let's just take a peek at it. Judges 13.5 talks about how the angel came to uh, Manoah's wife 
And children of Israel have been in bondage now for 40 years under the power of the Philistines. So for 40 years, that's a generation. So basically, no one knew how to be free. Nobody knew how to be free. And all of a sudden, you're going to be given a deliverer, and you're supposed to raise him. And it says, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. First of all, a Nazarite was a dedicated vow that you did in actions to show your separation unto God. But you chose to be a Nazarite. This is so interesting. Samson didn't choose it. It was bestowed onto him. He was born separated unto God. Then he was given a role that he would begin delivering Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, I love how his father says in verse 8, because this, this would be like any good, good person raising a kid. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent to us again come, come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who was born. And then verse 12, Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will the boy's rule of life and work be? How do I train him? How do I facilitate him? How do I make that happen? How do I take this person you've given me and make them something? Like you? You've always been enslaved. How are you going to raise a deliverer without repeating the process and retraining him back into that? Because we have an idea that the occupation and the role determines the value. Let me just throw this out at you. In Thailand, one of the biggest problems, so we have had the opportunity to work with a very, uh, very good um, children's home that has been involved working with the government for, they do witness protection and children that are rescued out of slavery and when they go to arrest, they do the protection of that and they, they're very well researched in that whole process. We also work with another group, a young man that I met when, I, when he was 12 years old back in 2003 who start a home to rescue women that were um, being trafficked and now they're, they're trying to make a life. And it was very interesting, the research, because we look at it that through an American lens. But let me put it into a concept that you may, un may, may not understand, is that in Asian culture, especially in Thailand, to not send resources back to your family is the greatest shame that you could have. So anything else is not an equivalent shame to the shame of not sending money back home. We've had watched people who were sold out to God. They, they've, they, they got born again. Their lives was being changed. And then the father called and says, I have a husband for you. You're going to come home and marry him. So they do, and he's Buddhist. And then now that's back to the world. See, there was this point where to not honor the father is the greater shame. Now, there's some truths in that that are phenomenal, but there's other parts of that which are damaging. How do you navigate through all that? Because the family knew what they wanted that child to be because the purpose of the child was to provide for the family. Aren't you glad that God didn't send Jesus on this earth, destroy the works of the devil, set you free to set you in position so you can go to work for him? Because he needed more lawns mowed? You need more work done so you can save more people so you can get more workers so you can save more people so you can get more workers. 
Have you ever thought about that for a moment? Something's wrong with that whole picture. But you set someone free and you see how hard they work. They don't even know it. So it doesn't mean we don't work hard. It doesn't mean you don't face things. It doesn't mean you don't put yourself into new environments, but you're not doing it for the reasons and the motives that you once were. Therefore, you don't even notice it work. Notice it as work. So the angel came back to Manoah and he said, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat any un anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Well, what about Samson? See, there was a time of a covenant where a person made a covenant with God, and it was between Manoah and his wife and God. Samson was the beneficiary of a covenant, but wasn't required to fulfill the law of the covenant because that was done by somebody else. Isn't that what Jesus did? We technically, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, we technically don't have a covenant with God. I mean, indirectly we do, but directly we don't. You have no covenant. Jesus has a covenant with God. And you are the beneficiaries of that covenant. That is why your performance is not relative to the covenant that you've been given. But when you understand the covenant and what you've been given, and now you're freed from the weight of the labor to fulfill the covenant, guess what you end up doing? All the things that you thought you should be doing anyway. Because now you're free. You're no longer under the bondage of finding things to bring relief from the things that were holding you down. I, I said this the other night when I was speaking, is we live in an environment that we desire relief, not deliverance. And what I mean deliverance is absolute freedom into the position that you stand. We would rather have relief, so we look for the spiritual relief and things to, to make us feel better about the moments that we're in. We do that naturally. We have the biggest pharmaceutical industry ever in the history that more people are dealing with that. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not saying the application. Don't get your mind caught up on that. I'm saying we have trained an idea of relief and not freedom. And who do you think authored that whole idea? The enemy, because he's afraid of you. Because if you ever discover what you really are and what you actually have, he has no power over you. Because what can the enemy do to someone that doesn't care about his opinion? I think that is a better statement. What would you do, you know, you've heard that before, what would you do if money wasn't an issue? Well, the whole idea of the statement makes money the issue. Because who has power over what you could do? Your checkbook. Well, if I have all of it, then I can do whatever I want. It still has the power. It's just raising the bar. But what if the statement was this? What would you do if you absolutely did not consider another person's opinion? What would you do? I know some people who don't care. I'm not saying that's the way to go either. I'm just saying they, they don't care, and so they're like, you try to hold them to something, and they just don't care. But there is a truth to that, because what can you do to them? They don't care. Now, what about if your value fully came from the Father's opinion of you and who you were to him and how he favors you and how he loves you and how he considers you? Would you not start forming his heart? 
wouldn't you start seeing things the way he sees them? And you wouldn't seek relief. You'd seek to stay in that position. See, man wants to tie you to the acts of your performance where God wants you to understand his ways. What does that mean? Moses said, if I found favor with you, show me your ways. What are his ways? How do you think? How do you see this? How do you operate? What's going on in your mind? What's taking place here? What's taking place over there? What's going on all around us? Those are his ways. His acts are, well, God did this, God did this, therefore he's going to do this, therefore he's going to do this. And we're measuring acts, and then we have to find someone who did the act to try to perform to the same level, so that way we're qualified within that act. But his ways are something like, oh, he has many ways. See, your path from point A to point B, even if we're both standing in the same place, going to the same destination is going to be completely different because we are complex people with all different thinking and backgrounds and thoughts and different environments and the things we know and the things we've been exposed to. But it's still the same destination, but the act from point A to point B is going to be radically different for every person than the way. But the way is always the same. So we got Samson. So he's born in verse 24. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, son man. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. Let me just say this. If the Lord blesses you, can anyone bless you more? His father didn't bless him. He may have. But the the Lord blessed him. The God of the angelic armies of heaven who brought him in, that bestowed him, that birthed him, that created a miracle birth, blessed him. Therefore, he doesn't need another blessing, does he? It's from the blessing that we flow, not in the flowing to get the blessing. And it says, and the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Manah, Mahana, something Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. And the Spirit of God being moving on him. And it's interesting, I was wondering about these two places. And these two cities sit on hilltops that overlook the valley of the river that flows to the Mediterranean Sea through Israel. So the Spirit of God took him to this place and he stood on the top of this hill. And God began moving on him to see something different. I want you to see what's yours. Not just what's yours personally, but what your people. This is your people's thing. And the enemy has taken it. I want you to see. And in the valley that he looked down is Timnah. So the Spirit of God was already preparing him for something to go stand against the opinions of the people. I don't know how well they thought of him anyway. I mean, imagine the one kid in the whole group that mom keeps talking about this angel story. It creates some awkward relational environments. Well, this angel came to us and says, you're going to bear a son, and this son is going to begin delivering the nation of Israel. Well, I don't know how well you would feel if you've never seen a deliverer, and you've been living under the power of the Philistines, and you've adopted into their way of life, and you've done their way of thinking, and all of a sudden something's going to change it. So we don't know how many friends he had growing up, because it was the Philistines that actually had to provide friends at the wedding. So it's possible. He lived in rejection his whole life. Isn't that just like Jesus? He's born into 
to the wrong person at the wrong time in the wrong city. Anything good come out of Nazareth? Apparently didn't have the greatest opinion. Can you imagine the whispers of the family? I don't know if they bought into Mary's story. Talk about a Christmas dinner. I don't think they bought into it. Right? I know humans. Then he comes and he does everything that is not the way the deliverer is supposed to deliver. He didn't fit the narrative that was created by a slave mentality people. But he operated in the spirit and the ways of it to the letter. So he comes along. And it's interesting, he goes and he went down to Timnah and he saw this woman in Timnah of the daughter of the Philistines. Now here's a guy that's free. He's the deliverer. He's been told what he is. He's been told about the story. He knew the Lord had blessed him. He had experienced the Spirit of God. He's operating in that. That's his way of thinking. That is his way of processing. And something begins moving on him. See, he doesn't have to make himself the deliverer. Oh, God, you told me to be a deliverer, so what's the eight-step plan that I can to market my program that I begin making those proper stages in order for me to do what you told me that I was going to do, even though I know you call things that be not as though they were. I want to help you along the way so we can get to that point so then I can have the proof that I am what you said I was. And then people will approve of me. But if you're already approved of, does it even matter? So I think this is interesting. Once you're settled... A different spirit begins operating in you towards the people around you. Because now love can flow. Otherwise, it's your objectives. It's your agenda. It's your thoughts. And people become stepping stones and get hurt along the way because you had to step on that person to get to the point because the calling is a higher thing than what I'm actually who I am and who you are. But there's really only one calling in the Bible. To him. It's the only calling we have, to know him. From that identity, there'll be outflows of your who you are. Your purpose of your identity as an individual becomes a thumbprint around you, but your calling is settled at the beginning, not at the end. 